Pool Sceners, we have made it to the end of season number two, and this one is going to be a special deep end episode for you. But before we reveal what it is, I want to make sure you guys know about the next contest coming up. We need all of you pool sceners and our lifeguards become one today to make your way over to our Instagram page and get us to 100 followers on Instagram, hashtag Instapool100. And when we get there, we will do another special viewer's choice episode with possibly something a bit extra. So coming up now is the season two finale, The Deep End. For all of you ladies and guys out there, Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL. Look, it's not bro time. It's showtime. We have made it. It is the season finale of the Pool Scene Podcast, which we refer to as The Deep End. The finale of season two, to be specific. And for The Deep End, we have two movies to cover today. We're drinking wine. That's right. Feeling good. Feeling great. Had a couple glasses of wine. And this one is especially for the ladies out there. Yeah, very, very wine movie. Today, we will be breaking down or stripping down, if you will, (laughs) 2012's Magic Mike and its 2015 sequel, Magic Mike XXL or Extra Extra Large. Extra Extra Large. Uh, Magic Mike is loosely based on Channing Tatum's experience as an 18... Well, first, let me say, before I get into that, I'm Kevin, and I'm with Jim. Uh, A.K.A. Big Dick Jimmy. Yeah, I was going to say, if you were a stripper, what would your name be? Small Dick Jimmy. Yeah. I <laughs> I don't think it's the same for male strippers no, as because it is for female. Because fe- female strippers are like cinnamon and... <laughs> Coming up on the main stage, we have Serenity. Diamond. Diamond. Yeah, my name would be Justice. Uh, uh, Magic Mike is loosely based on Channing Tatum's experience as an 18-year-old stripper in Tampa, Florida. Channing Tatum, the lead actor and Magic Mike himself in this franchise, and the story was totally fictional, but it was the atmosphere and the setting that he was after. Tatum's original choice for director, who had originally agreed and signed on to the project, was Danish director Nicholas Vinding Reifen, known at that time for directing Bronson and Drive with Ryan Gosling. Drive is such a great movie. For better or worse, uh, this fell through, because could you imagine Nicholas Vinding Reifen with this movie? They'd all be wearing scorpion jackets. Everything would be super neon, and there would definitely be... Vaporwave, though. A a murder and, like, uh, a heist. Anyway, for better or worse, this fell through. Tatum brought the project to Chameleon director Steven Soderbergh, who he had been working together with on Haywire. In my opinion, Soderbergh doesn't have a signature style, but he can direct the shit out of anything. He's done the Oceans movies, The Informant, Contagion, among uh, numerous others, uh, Logan Lucky. Uh, Look him up. He's done some great stuff. The marketing for this movie, movie targeted straight women and gay men, but... I was in the theater opening night for it, and I'm neither of those things. The moist, humid theater <laughs> full of moans. And you you subjected me to this movie for the first time. And of course, 
you say, okay, it's a stri- male stripping movie. I'm like, why the fuck would I want to watch a male stripping movie? Both of these movies, absolutely awesome. I will say, that's, love them both. That's the thing is like, I guess one of the reasons I went to see this in the theater was sort of for like the train wreck or the spectacle mm-hmm. of it. I expected, it, and no offense. But I expected to see a bunch of like lonely single women mm-hmm. going to see this movie. It's a male, like a eye candy male stripper movie. But I will say, I think after seeing this movie and more so the second one, that the women audience who went to see the eye candy were probably more disappointed. And the male audience who went with their girlfriends or, you know, the straight male audience who went with their, for whatever reason, like me, they came out like, Hey, this is better than expected. Really good to- movie. Great, great cinematography. Excellently written. I loved it. I thought it was a really good series of movies, man. Excellent. So that that humid theater that just it felt moist. It felt like a sauna. Every girl listening is just cringe twice because they yes. hate the moist word. Yeah, moist. And that moist night, of course, was June 29th, 2012. Jim. Please tell us how we were living at that time in addition to the budget and box office for Magic Mike, the original. You know what? Crazy thing about 2012. I mean, it was eight years ago, but the way things have been going this year in particular, this movie seems like it came out 25 years ago. However, Magic Mike, number one, the start of the amazing, amazing. Hopefully they do a a third movie and they call it Triple XL. Who knows? It's possible was made on a budget of $7 million and racked in $162 million at the box office. So it definitely made its nut, pardon the pun. There were some amazing events that happened around the latter half of June 2012. In sports, Tiger Woods won PGA Tour win number 73, tying his role model, the Golden Bear himself, 16 major winner, Jack Nicholas. Now, the next thing I'm going to quote is I kind of I've kind of gotten a lot of heat for it because I said this Spider-Man was better than a Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. The Amazing Spider-Man premieres in the box office with Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. The worst one. I liked him better than Tobey Maguire, but whatever. I thought Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3 were garbage movies. I preferred Amazing Spider-Man 1 and Amazing Spider-Man 2. The Apple One computer, the big announcement recently of the new 300 versions of the iPhone 12 that are going to be out here shortly. Everybody get your pre-orders in now. They are going fast. The original Apple One computer conceived and built in a garage by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak sold at auction for a record $374,000. It's an expensive computer. Expensive considering the damn thing probably did not run whatsoever. The number one song in America at this time, and I still love this song. It holds up. They made so many parody videos of it. Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe. Yeah. Amazing. Love the song. Very catchy. The number one movie in America was Madagascar number three. Yuck. At the time. Then Amazing Spider-Man right afterwards. People started looking at me different, put me up on this pedestal like I was some kind of saint or something, you know, and I was like, man, I'm just a singer, simple song. Ladies and gentlemen, your Alan Jackson, June 29th, 2012 update. Alan Jackson released his 17th, 17th studio album called 30 Miles West. And that is your Alan Jackson update and what was going on 
in June of 2012. So in, in the movie PCU, which I would imagine we'll cover eventually. Oh, we will. In PCU, there is the guy who's on the couch. It's Gene Hackman. The Kane Hackman theory. And Michael Kane. At all times, there's either a Gene Hackman or a Michael Kane. Go in a car, sit in a car, sit in a chair. And then what happens is Gene Hackman and Michael Kane are in a movie together, and he's able to get off the couch. That's his thesis. So... One of these days, when you do the budget and box office and the Alan Jackson fact of the week, <laughs> Alan Jackson is going to be the number one song, and I think we could probably stop doing it. How great would it be? I mean, I think it's going to line The up. Alan Jackson thing has turned into its own thing. I love and it. And it was just an accident. I sent Pure you. Pure accident. I sent you uh, some, some logo ideas with Alan Jackson. <laughs> uh <laughs> Ah, uh, the good old Chad anyway, Gucci. Alan Jackson has made a lot of money in his career, and these movies made quite a bit of money. Oh, yeah, they did. And that's a lot of money in singles. Mm. And if you were extra sly, you yeah. paid to see this movie in singles. Because this is the deep end, we will have not one, but two very special pool checks for you. Yes, we will. First, let's get into the plot of the first movie. Mike Lane is an entrepreneur who pays his bills through a number of odd jobs. He works construction during the day. His biggest earner and primary occupation is as a dancer at Exquisite Strip Club in Tampa, Florida. All right, all right, all right. Exquisite, indeed, is owned by Dallas, who dreams of owning a strip club empire. He wants to open clubs all throughout Florida, up and down the coast, and then foreshadowing in another country. Taking the success of his club and spreading it much like something you might contract at a strip club. Did you catch that? I did. I was trying to let you go with it. Very nice. On a construction site, Mike meets 19-year-old college dropout named Adam looking for work. Mike takes a good look at him and convinces him to become a stripper. The bonus is that Adam, who quickly becomes known as The Kid, has a sister who Mike is very attracted to. Dead behind the eyes. <laughs> the Kid quickly falls heavily into the lifestyle of drugs and sex that come with being a male stripper. And it's life. Dallas announces plans to move their business to Miami. They're closing the Tampa location and taking it on the road to Miami. And Mike confides in Brooke, the kid's sister, that he's grown tired of the stripper lifestyle and he dreams of opening his own custom furniture business. However, the bank has declined Mike's loan application due to his means of business. When you apply for a loan, you need pay stubs and things of that nature. A lot of Mike, memoranda. Mike's got a lot of cash to put down, but it all comes under the table. The kid gets involved in a drug scheme alongside Tobias, who is the, the DJ at Exquisite. The kid is spiraling and Brooke sees it as Mike's responsibility to protect him. The kid's just getting really caught up in this lifestyle. While performing at a private sorority party, the kid gives ecstasy to a girl, which causes a brawl with some boyfriends who are there, which is really weird that the boyfriends yeah, are there. We'll get into that. And uh, they're unpleased by the kid giving his girlfriend ecstasy. Wouldn't you? I would. Absolutely. <laughs> a brawl breaks out and Mike and the kid are forced to flee. The kid has left his drug stash behind and the kid tells Mike, that it was $1,000 worth of drugs. They also do not collect their payment from dancing at the sorority party for their services booked by Dallas, who is pissed. When Brooke finds out that the... Actually, she goes to Mike's house the next day because I think in order to blow off steam after the, the whole fiasco, they go out, they do some drugs. The next morning, Brooke shows up because the kid never returned home. She's a very protective sister. 
and she finds the kid passed out at Mike's house. She basically gets so pissed, she breaks off any relationship with Mike, blaming him for everything. Meanwhile, Tobias and his suppliers break into Mike's house looking for the kid. Tobias's suppliers, who he doesn't really work for, they don't know Mike, so they basically start kicking Mike's ass, and they're looking for the kid, and Mike learns that it was actually $10,000. Oh, you know, big oversight there. In drugs, not 1000 So Mike gives up his life savings for his business to pay the kid's debt, maybe feeling responsible, or maybe just being the bigger, more responsible person, or maybe he does it like as an apology to the kid's Out sister. Out of guilt. So before the big final show at Exquisite in Tampa, Mike walks out. He knows that Dallas doesn't care about any of them, and Dallas promotes the kid to Mike's position, proving that Dallas really doesn't care. He just... Uh, Full he, on heel. He gives the kid the position. Mike goes to Brooke's house. Who knows what Mike did for the kid, and she invites him in for breakfast. Get some breakfast. Okay. Let's go get something to eat. The thing is, is my f I, I only go to one place. It's my favorite place. They have the best omelets. They know my order. I walk in, food's basically on the table. I know they'd help you out too. Get some waffles for you, pancakes, whatever you want. I love waffles, let's go there. Well, the problem is it doesn't open until 6 a.m. And they kiss and they've got seven hours to kill before breakfast, so. It opens at 6 a.m., man. Come so on. that is the plot of Magic Mike, the first one. Let me get into the characters. We have Channing Tatum as Michael Magic Mike Lane. A C. Tates. Male stripper who performs at Exquisite, and this is loosely based off his own experience. Alex Pettifer as Adam the Kid, Mike's protege who befriends him. Cody Horn as Brooke, as Jim said. She, <laughs> dead expression. It looks like of. she has no soul. <laughs> Adam's sister, Mike's love interest. Olivia Munn plays Joanna, who Mike's kind of like an on-again, off-again lover. Uh, they sleep together, but fine. turns out yeah. she's engaged. Yeah, you know. Uh, Matthew McConaughey as Dallas. He is a former and, I guess, current stripper. Yeah. Who owns Exquisite, Mike's boss. And then we have the other characters who, in the first movie, barely have any lines. Yeah. The but really make the second movie, which we'll get into. Joe Manganiello as Big Dick Richie. Matt Bomer as Ken. Adam Rodriguez as Tito. Kevin Diesel Nash <laughs> Big sexy. as Tarzan. And Gabriel Iglesias as Tobias. With that said, Jim, quickly, anybody steal scenes that's not Channing Tatum? When we get to the second movie, there's going to be guys, especially becoming a bigger character-based movie as the second one is. This one, besides Channing Tatum, that stick out, it would probably have to be McConaughey in the first one because he comes across as a shyster pimp, ends up being a heel in the end, ends up being the bad guy because in the end, all he wants to do is get this big $4 million building in Tampa to move his whole operation up the coast. Or no, I'm sorry, to Miami. He wants to move it down to the coast. This is when McConaughey became much more respected as an Big actor. Time. There was a lot of buzz that he would get a nom for this movie, which he didn't, but right around the corner, he... Broke through on that facet, you know, winning one for Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. Which, which his body is not recovered no, from. No, he's never been the same But the amazing then. thing about Magic Mike, and when it initially came out, it's just like, oh, it's, it's a chick flick. They're going to see hard body guys. They get away from their lives and they go watch this for two hours. This movie had so much substance. Yeah. It's a great movie. And I mean, Soderbergh. Well, I mean, this, what else can I you say, say about I would say the first one, you can look at it as more of a plot driven it's a movie. very story heavy movie but 
essentially it is the story of Mike Lane, who is not coming of age. That's the wrong term. He's basically in his mid twenties. The first he's, movie. He's in his late twenties yeah. and he is growing up and he knows that he needs to get more serious and become a man. And he's dealing with kind of the remnants of his past life and what he wants his life to be. So with that said, what are the best scenes in this movie? You go first. I'm going to go first on X. I don't know if I can say best scenes. I would say say favorite scenes, favorite scenes or scenes that stuck out. The first one that stuck out to me was Mike going to the bank to get a loan. I mean, we, we do offer relief programs for our qualified distressed clients so that I'm sorry, what? It's a relief program so that you can... I'm 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 distressed. No, 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 no not, not <laughs> so like wait, that. Listen, it's, just... it's okay. It's fine. Does this look distressed? I don't think so. One. Two. I read the papers, okay? The only thing that's distressed is y'all. I mean, I get banks. I understand they need justification to know that they're going to get their money paid back. But he literally drops a stack of money right on. He has a portfolio saying... This is my business. I make all this type of furniture. I want to turn this in. And the whole time, this woman who looks like she would be at their place to watch them all strip just will not give him the money and kind of in a way just needles them and insults them. And he basically laughs it off and considers her ignorant. And he just takes a big old stack and go away. Yeah, we don't we don't see more of it, but he can go to other banks. He definitely could. He can go down the street to every bank and he can I mean, but ultimately what it's going to come down to is what is his credit score? How much money does he have in collateral? Does he own anything in collateral because I think he could convince someone based on the portfolio to give him the loan, but if his credit score is terrible and he owns nothing, well, it comes to the point, especially this scene, it kind of exemplifies the fact that, you know, this isn't his first, you know, first rodeo when it comes to dealing with banks. It seems like he's been doing it now for at least a year or two. It's just the same dog and pony show when he's really proven himself to be very talented, making this industrial furniture, reclaimed wood, but nobody will actually give him the shot. And that's what he really wants. Hence why he's still stripping See, and he wants to get away. The other logic, though, is... He can accumulate money pretty quickly by yeah. stripping, as, as he's proved. He has a big brick of money. He gets a 7.5% seven, cut when yeah. it used to be 10. So I don't understand what exactly, why he can't just save a little longer and make this happen. But Well, I mean, before he had to pay off dipshit's drug money fee. Yeah, he had 10 he grand. Had, he had $13,500 yeah. saved. Yeah. So, I mean, he could drop the construction during the day and do the... Anyway. Yeah. My... Uh, uh, first scene it's the pony performance oh yeah this next performer who's coming out he's one of a kind ladies i saw this young man walking down the street about six years ago and i knew when i saw him i just knew i had to bring him in bring him in have his talents be shown to the universe and tonight we're gonna be right here on this stage feasting for your very own eyes our feature presentation, the one and only. The star of the show, Mr. Magic, Mike. So it's the iconic dance number from this movie, Mike. And in this movie, there's definitely a, a lot more, maybe not a lot more stripping, but a lot more 
traditional club. Yeah. You know, day very upscale club, by the way, before they take the, the show on the road. Mm-hmm. But Mike does a number to Pony by Genuine. And it's pretty memorable. I, I will say after watching it tonight that it's a little bit dated, maybe. Yeah. The style of dancing. But at the time was pretty impressive. The dance he does to Pony. Have I told you? Well, I should say, have I? I did tell you. I learned this routine somewhat being 39 years old it's much more difficult i tried doing this whole routine last year i've never slid across the floor on my knees i did it and then my knee popped out of place i stood back up my knee popped back into place and i couldn't bend my knee for four days so that's a testament to the amazing dancing ability and agility of one C. Tates. The dude, I mean, we read reports saying how naturally talented this guy is when it comes to dancing. Yeah. My next one is the beach day at the sandbar. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, if you want, I could probably get Dallas's number for you. I mean, he's starting this new life coaching business <laughs> that I really do think that you might benefit from personally. I mean, I saw the connection between you two. It was like, what? I'm sorry. I... So you filmed it too? What? I, just what? What would his kids even look like? They'd be running around in little rattlesnake diapers. And shit. Oh no! Oh no! I don't. I, they just say stupid shit sometimes. Don't let them bother me. Oh no! It didn't bother me. No, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around Adam's whole mix. I did it. I don't know how I fit in this whole mix either. So it's fine. No, you, you. When you're on stage, it all makes sense. I mean, the way you dance and the way the women respond to you. Wait a minute. So that means someone might have stuck around. That's good to know. So all of the strippers that work at Exquisite, which is Ken, Tarzan, Tito. Big Dick Richie. Big Dick Richie. Mike, the, the kid. kid, and Dallas. Apparently, Dallas owns a speedboat, a very nice boat. Call the Exquisite. Dick called exquisite and they take it out to this like private little not even like an island but all like a sandbar it literally is it's a jet and it's a jet they have this sandbar. like keg party with a bunch of girls and a bunch of people there and it's just it's sepia tone and everybody's having drinks there's a really awkward interaction between brooke who has come along yeah she can't seem to let her brother out of her sight big jaw dead in the eyes yes and they she has this we- weird interaction with mike's booty call and joanna uh, but I like that scene. It's just, I like the look of it. I In like real life, we would never have, that place would be so overwhelmed oh, with yes, people. Yeah, but they have it to themselves somehow. It's like, uh, they must have booked it for the day. <laughs> now, if there was a sandbar by Geneva on a lake outside of Lake Erie, of course, we'd have to step over 40 tampons and needles in order to be comfortable. Yeah, another Yeah, scene. I got another one. My second one would be where Mike confronts Dallas after the whole sorority fiasco. Yes. Nobody walks on water on 19. Except for you, right? Old friend. Ah. What you thinking about it? Bite man that feeds you, big dog? Hmm? You don't fucking feed me, Dallas. I can walk right out that door. Right now. And do a fuck of a lot better than seven and a half percent. I'm sorry, that used to be ten. But you don't. You didn't. And you won't. Mm. Because you can't. And he basically calls Dallas out like, listen, I can get the fuck out of here right now. I can walk because I used to make 10%. Now I'm only making 7.5%. But like you brought up to me, Dallas even says, you could leave if you want, but you'd never leave. You keep coming back. Yeah. Dallas, he's like, I got you. Dallas he's a, has he's the a upper junkie. hand, right. Mm-hmm. Dallas has the upper hand. He knows that, that Mike 
Mike could leave and Dallas will replace him tomorrow. But this is the actual spot you realize Dallas is a real piece of shit. Yeah. The and biggest I mean, piece of shit. And I get it. He's a businessman. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. But if you put yourself in Dallas's shoes, there is, it's just that small business owner mentality. Yeah. It's like, I started a small business to make myself rich. Not anybody Not you. Else. I don't give a shit. My next one, I'll just do a two for one. Yeah. Uh, keep it at three. Is the first time that kid is in the strip club dressing room. Waffle House pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Waffle House pussy. Yo, everybody, this is the kid. Y'all can thank me later. He's going to help us out tonight. This is Big Dick Richie, Ken, Tito, and Tarzan. Oh, what's up? All right, look, just tell him what props you need. I'll help him set them up later. So and uh, yeah, have fun. Make something home, kid. Their dressing room is a kitchen. It's a kitchen, yeah. It's an inoperable kitchen. It has a surf safe certification sticker on the wall. And Big Dick Richie is using the penis <laughs> pump. And Tarzan, what's Tarzan trying to get him to shave his legs and yeah. tells him it's initiation. And they're getting dressed and they're just bullshitting. They drink this concoction that uh Well they said it doesn't it doesn't make you drunk, but yeah, it gives you the yeah, effects of it. Yeah, Tobias brings this this drink and they're like no, less calories. Yeah, it's it'll get you drunk without the calories. It looks like piss on a water bottle. It does. It does. It straight up looks like piss. So that's pretty funny because the kid kind of just like, what did I get myself into? And then the other one that I will say in conjunction is Dallas teaching the kid to dance. Eyes on you. You are their vision. So what do you do? You don't just fucking throw your clothes off, do you? You fucking make it count, baby. You walk out. You own it. You look around. You tease. You seduce. Lock eyes, but don't lock in on any of them. You gotta believe that you are inside every single while. When the time's right, you'll know it. Stick it. That right there is like hitting the G spot every single time. Because after, so the first night that the kid oh, dances, so fucking weird. They have like Tarzan has drank too much of the concoction, <laughs> and the kid, oh poor Kevin Nash, gets pushed out on the stage, and he doesn't even dance. No, he walks out. He kind of turns around, moons the crowd. Then he goes out in the crowd, gets on a girl's lap, and starts making out with her. Mm-hmm. So there's no dancing. But after the evening's festivities are over, Dallas says to Mike. He can't dance for shit, but I think we got something. So you see this scene later on where they get together at like a dance studio for rehearsal and Dallas teaches the kid to dance. And it's so strange. He's fully up in his ass when he's teaching him to grind his hips. He's very much on his hips. It's like uh, Patrick Swayze, Dirty Dancing, season one on the <laughs> Pull Scene podcast on Spotify, Episode Apple Podcasts. Yes. And then immediately after Dallas teaching the kid to dance, Mike takes the kid to what I just call as the thong store. Yeah. Which these stores exist. They do. I mean, the common person may not know or pay attention. I'm pretty sure ours used to be called Condemnation, but now I'm pretty sure it's called Room 802. Well, those stores are more like porn and lingerie. Oh, dildos. We have... um, Oh, ambiance. Right around... Yeah, ambiance sort of. Right around the corner from me, I don't know if it's still there, in this little plaza, there's literally a store that just sells clothes for strippers. Okay. It's just straight up... Like, that's all they have. I've never been in there, but I, I know of it. So any any other scenes that you would like to, to talk about I got, Magic Mike 1? I got one final one. It's where Mike confronts, like, Tobias and the drug dealers after they broke into his apartment looking for the kid. Look, man, I'm sorry. We're looking for the kid. Okay, we're looking for the kid. You, so you brought him here? Look, man, what the fuck are you looking for him for? He's laid on his front, man, okay? And as you can see, what was due today? There's a hundred pills! 
A hundred pills, that's a thousand bucks. I think he's good for that, no, don't no, you? No, 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 no. Is that what he told you? A hundred? We went on a whole pack, hombre. A whole pack. But what's his half? Ten grand. The kid lied about, he said he only, it was only a hundred pills and it was only a thousand dollars. And he finds out it was ten thousand dollars worth of pills that he just left at the sorority house. He needs to come up with $10,000 or the drug dealers are going to basically kill the kid. Yeah. So Mike, I think because he's in some kind of air quotes love with the kid's sister. And I think he kind of feels responsible for the kid getting into the business because he kind of showed him the ropes. He decides to basically surrender his entire life savings. Even though he said it was only 10 grand, he gives them all 13,500. So I'm assuming they're charging interest. I have no clue, but he gives it all over willingly. And then we've seen a scene later, the kid just doesn't give a shit. Like, hey, no, man, the kid, and he says that line where yeah, he says something so offensive to him. I want to say thank you about the money. I know how much that shit meant to you, especially because of that so much of crap you wanted to do. I, uh, I'm gonna pay you back every last cent. I want you to know that. All right. Look, man, we're gonna look back in 20 years. You're gonna be dead, probably, but I can look back in 20 years and look at the shit that, that we've done together, man. Fuck. Look where I was three months ago. When he says, in 20 years, you'll be dead. Yeah, you'll be dead, but man, I'll still remember the times we had together, and don't worry about it. We're going to Miami. He says, you're my best money. friend. But he's so arrogant. It's like a complete and total heel turn. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. But that's all I got for that. Signif I wouldn't say favorite scenes, but scenes that stuck out to me. I'm glad that my Magic Mike exists because led to Magic Mike XXL, which yeah. we're going to get into soon. But first, we need to check the pool. You got to make sure there's no candy bars floating around in there no or dookie. anything like that. So uh, lifeguard, if you would please blow the whistle. Pool check. All right, as I promised, we have two pool checks this week. We got good ones this week, the folks. The first of which, we're not doing music videos. I know some of you have, have come to love our music video sections, but these are more recent movies, pretty much post-music video. Music videos yeah. still exist, but also because it's a special episode, we're going to do some special pool checks. Mm -hmm. So for the first of two pool checks, we're going to do our favorite cover songs of all time. Now, yes. If you live under a rock, you don't know what a cover is, meaning one artist performed it originally and then another artist re-recorded it in their own style or several artists with some of these. With that said, I will let you go first and do your number five favorite cover song. Okay, so how I base this is what I believe the cover is better than the original. So this is where I'm going with mine. Number five, I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's a band called Top Loader. They covered Dancing in the Moonlight by King Harvest. All right, no. It basically somewhat sounds like the original, but more more of a little bit of an upbeat tempo, a little bit of a more uh, acoustic guitar sound They're called to Top it. Loader, like They're Nintendo? Like the NES Top Loader, the very heavy sought-after Top Loader that I used to own. I have one. It's a really good song. I think it's a little bit better than the King Harvest original, even though I do love the original. Don't get me wrong. There will be songs on this list where I'm just like, the original, I don't like it. This one is way better. But this one's a really good song with my cover list. I hope it turns you guys, all you pool singers and lifeguards other. If it wants to turn you on, you can do that too. But yeah, check them out. They're called Top Loader One Word. Okay. Now, based on your criteria that it the cover should be better than the original. I mean, you don't have to. It's just mine. My number five 
I came to like more than the original, which is crazy because the original is a great song. And technically, the original were performed by two artists. My number five, me first thing, give me gimme's, nothing compares to you. Oh, good. Which was Sinead O'Connor mm-hmm. and Prince. But for some reason, like, I, I had a period in my life of going through something emotional. And I was listening to Sinead O'Connor a bunch. <laughs> Nothing compares to you. Did you rip up a picture of the Pope, I too? Think I probably did. I shaved my <laughs> head. I ripped. I went on David Letterman and ripped up a picture of the Pope. Um, but for some reason, like, the Me First and Gimme Gimme's version, despite being like a pop punk version, yeah. became more emotional and, like, shook me to my core more than the Sinead O'Connor version. And that's, like, what I needed at that time. So I just, I love that cover. If you know the song, if you don't know the Me First and Gimme Gimme's one, Go listen to it. It's good. And, you know, honorable mention, Me Versus Gimme Gimme's does all covers. Yeah, they're an they all have cover no band. original songs. They're a cover band. They're like a pop punk super group that does all covers. Fat Mike's in that, right? Yeah. I really like, what's the Vanessa Williams? Uh, oh, oh. Fuck. I can't remember what it's called, but that's a good one, too. The cab is starting to kick in. Yeah. Okay. So my number four, the original was done by Christopher Cross Sailing, but this cover of Sailing, I think it's tremendous. In sync doing sailing. It's off In Sync's first album. I'm pretty sure it's track number 11 right after I drive myself crazy. As you all know, I'm a big In Sync fan. So the melodies in this with all five guys instead of just Christopher Cross. Don't get me wrong, Criss Cross, not the jump, but the original yeah. big Criss Cross. Yacht Rock. Yeah, yeah. He coined him and Bertie Higgins. Yeah, Yacht Rock, and maybe James Buffet. Yes, who did a song with Alan Jackson. Exactly. <laughs> Not the Chattacoochee. It's five o'clock somewhere. However, this is just a great low tempo song. It kind of ran under the radar because when people think of covers, you don't really think of In Sync. I mean, they did this well, it on is, no, no Strings Attached. They did uh, Just Got Paid. It's, it's weird because these boy bands were so overmanaged. Every aspect of everything was Lou overmanaged. Perlman. Yeah, Lou Pearlman. So it's so weird that Lou Pearlman was like, "I want you to do a cover." Yeah, of singing. Any cover he could have done, they did the obscure Yacht Rock song. And not obscure, but the Yacht Rock song. Very niche. Mm -hmm. They did Sailing. And Sailing, you will always hear nine times out of ten if you're waiting in a doctor's office. It is the most ultimate doctor's office song. But check it out. Track 11, InSync first album, Sailing. Sailing into my Viagra prescription. (laughs) Get some of that Blue Chew. Doctor's office. (laughs) Yeah, Blue Chew, hit us up. (laughs) My number four is a horrorcore punk standard. Interesting. The Misfits Skulls, but the cover is by the Lemonheads, and it is an acoustic cover of Skulls that I listen to so often. I, you know what? I plead ignorance here. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's the song Skulls by Misfits. It's maybe their, you know, one of their probably top three or five most famous songs, but there is an acoustic version that's so good. It's just, I, I don't know. Well, you'll hear it in the background of this as I'm speaking, but uh, yeah, that's not a lot to say about it. I love the Lemonheads. Very underrated band. You know, in the 90s, I think they had like one radio hit or something. But really, they were multifaceted and a really good band. Okay, so I realized my number three goes against what I wanted to make the list being covers better than the original. So I'm going to have to play a curveball on this. I'm going to have to change it up. Number three, Orgy Blue Monday. Nice. Because I just, 
I never really liked the New Order's version of Blue Monday. I ran out and bought this Orgy CD for Blue Monday. It's a great cover. This I mean, it's a new metal weird. TRL play, maybe? Yes, it got minimal TRL play, but I remember working with a girl at Ponderosa, shout out to Jess Gwynn at the time, who was obsessed, virtually obsessed with Jay Gordon, the lead singer of Orgy. I have no fucking idea why. He held the microphone very weird, uh-huh. and he always held it weird. Blue Monday was a product of the late 90s new metal. They did nothing else that I know of, but Blue Monday was all they needed because yes. they sold a lot of records. That's right. Someone else that sold a lot of records and actually still performing, although they look like a shell of themselves. They look like a, a donut version of themselves. <laughs> donut? Is Marilyn Manson Sweet Dreams. Ooh, a Eurythmics cover. Yeah, it's The good. opening tones of the guitar. This song was like a lot of people's introduction to Marilyn Manson. And it's like so spooky and creepy. And a lot of people thought Marilyn Manson was going to cause kids to scoot, shoot up schools. Yeah. It, they put a lot of blame on him for Columbine, did, remember? And, and, you know, but this is a great cover. It is. It was taking a song and reinventing it because... I'm not afraid of Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics, but if you're like listening to, you know, wearing some headphones and you're listening to Sweet Dreams by Marilyn Manson, yes. pretty, pretty spooky. So that's my number three. Okay, so my number two is way beyond the original. The original I've never liked. Number two, the Atari's Boys of Summer. Wow. I've always loved this version. It is on that I've referenced this before on one of my many CD mixes. Summer punk shit music that you roll down your window to in the summer of 2004. This was on that mix CD. I never liked. Was it Don Henley? Don Henley never liked that version. So of Don summer. Henley has a lyric in his that says, you "Can't go back." I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac, but the Ataris were too cool to mention the Grateful Dead. So theirs was "Can't go back." Saw a deadhead or saw a black flag sticker right. on a catalog. Dude, they were fucking trendy. Nice they were touch. edgy. They were edgy. But nice something touch. about when you listen to the original Boys of Summer, it just it sounds like it should be like you listen to the Atari's version. It's up kind of I use punk very loosely. Very upbeat, you know, very product of its time. Don Henley's just seems depressing to me. Yeah. It's like the Boys of Summer, I can see you. It should be an I mean it's a uh. catch a brown like it's very... I, I don't know why I ever associated imagery, with baseball. Yeah, but there's a lot of imagery, like brown skin shining in the sun, yeah. your wayfarers on. Like, you can imagine that. Anyhow. Yeah. My number two is another one where there are two covers that are better than the original. It's Without You. Mariah Carey, Harry Nielsen, Ooh. and there is also a Jill Sobule cover that's good. Big shout out to Jill. <laughs> that's all better than the original by Badfinger. I think Mariah's is the best, mm-hmm. but a lot of people argue Harry Nielsen's is also very good. I prefer Motley Crue's. I like, uh, I remember there was a video that used to float around like College Humor or something, and when American Idol happened... <laughs> I don't even know why I bring this up, but <laughs> when American Idol happened, there then became Canadian Idol and Every Spanish Idol, Idol and yeah. Venezuelan Idol. And there was like Turkish Idol and some woman sang this and, but she sang like a muddled English version of it. It was like, Liba diba dauchu. And <laughs> it's like the, William Hunt. The judges were like, what language was that? Was that English? So yeah, Mariah Carey without you. Number two. 
My number one is William Hung. She bangs. No, <laughs> not happening. My number one. Can't pick that because you can't see the dance. She you gotta, bangs. She bangs. You gotta bangs. do the dance if you're I'll gonna do that. she move. My number one is an amazing cover. Way better. Way way better than the original because Bob Dylan sucks. It's Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower. It's a good one. It is. What can you say about the song? This song like harkens to memories of Vietnam. But of course, Bob Dylan was the first one to do it. And I'm pretty sure there are some pool sceners out there that love Dylan. I understand he has contributed a lot to rock and roll. I get that. But his voice is like fingernails on a chalkboard yeah, to me. Jim, you don't like Bob Dylan's voice. As much as you hate Billy Joel, I cannot stand I cannot stand Bob Dylan plus any Battlestar Galactica fans out there. This song was used during the remake of Battlestar Galactica to, spoiler alert, activate the Cylons. What an amazing version of song by Bear McCreary on top of it. Yeah. So Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower. No, number one. My number one is a song that's the theme song for Big Mouth on Netflix, which is really well done animated series. It's Changes by Charles Bradley. It is the Black Sabbath Ozzy Osbourne cover. Oh, not Tupac? And and it's not Tupac. <laughs> but you when you hear the Charles Bradley song, it's got so much soul, and the sound of it sounds like it's an old Motown song. So it's very like soulful, and you would think that Charles Bradley's version was the original when in actuality Black Sabbath's was it's just great. I can listen to this song over and over again. There's definitely yeah, it's it's very listenable. So I will say that. With that said, let's get into some honorable mentions. Now, the first one, I don't know how this didn't make my list because I really like Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley, unfortunately, died prematurely. His band had just signed a new contract or something, and he decided to jump in, take a swim in the river while wearing his boots. It weighed him down, and he drowned. But he did an absolutely heart-stopping version of Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen that's just great. So that's a good one. One we've talked about on here before, Hurt by Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston's version of Dolly Parton, and it's a a huge shame that neither of us put it on our list. I have a couple, but it goes against my list criteria. These are just cover songs in general. Newfound Glory, King of Wishful Thinking. It's a great cover, and as you all know, that will be the name of my boat one day. This might make Kevin chuckle. Two covers by Disturbed, them covering... Tears for Fear Shout oh. and Genesis's Land of Confusion. Nice. Because in Disturbed's version of Land of Confusion, they were able to work in Ice Ice Baby yeah. into that. Go figure. I'm going to try to pronounce his last name. Israel Kahahawuninoki. That's way the hell off. I know. Him doing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Yeah. And that always fascinated me. He literally went into studio and did that in one take. And that version was way better than Judy Garland's. Plus, it has one of the most iconic TV backdrops to me is when Dr. Mark Green died on ER and they played Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Israel as he passed on. To this day, I watch that scene. I'm a mess. That dude is the man. He um, they based a there's a Pixar short called Lava that I highly recommend and it's loosely based on his music and stuff. It is great. I have, you didn't mention Limp Biscuit's Faith. We weren't going to talk about that. Uh, Valerie by Amy Winehouse and Mark Ronson is actually a cover 
from 2006, an obscure song called By the Zootons. Oh, I was going to say, not Steve Winwood. No, different Valerie, but good Valerie. Mm-hmm. Love Steve Winwood. Lady Marmalade, Christina, Mia, Maya, Pink, Lil' Kim. Oh, I hated that song yeah, I did so too. much. The Moulin Rouge movie was not good. I heard it through the... Moulin Rouge is good. Uh, I heard it through the grapevine. Creedence Clearwater Revival. Did Marvin Gaye cover, which I don't know. Did we talk about it when Justin from Dead Ink was on? Did we talk about the dream I had where I had tattooed my forearm with Clearwater Clearwater (laughs) Revival Water. (laughs) Cab is starting to kick in. (laughs) Revival Water, (laughs) Credence Water. I tattooed on my forearm. It's so such a weird dream. One that I could not doing weddings that you know that I could not leave off. I swear by John Michael Montgomery, the all for one cover. No. A lot of country covers. Like God, uh, God must have spent a little more yes, time on you, and Alabama. There's a Lips of an Angel by Hinder. There's a country oh, cover, God. which is hilarious. No. We didn't say Hard to Say I'm Sorry by As Yet. <laughs> How do we not talk about Chicago? The majesty of As I Yet. I don't know if I can call it a cover because Peter Cetera actually is on the song. I think he adopted them. Yeah. Watch any video and with And then them. another huge one in the 90s that we didn't mention is. Killing Me Softly, Fuji's. Oh, such a great and, song, Roberta uh, Flack. Yeah, Roberta Flack cover. So nothing else I want to mention with covers. I thought we did a pretty good job, but please reach out. Let us know what we missed. Let us know your favorite cover. Let us know if you want to hear Jim and I cover anything. Cover any song. Cover Alan Jackson, Chattahoochee, or as Jim calls it, <laughs> Chattahoochee. <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and uh, take our towels off and jump back in. Everybody back in the pool. Magic Mike 2, I should say, Magic Mike XXL. Get it right, son. Was directed by Gregory Jacobs. He was the assistant director for the first film. I don't know exactly why they swapped out, but Steven Soderbergh still acted as editor and cinematographer on XXL, but he let the assistant director, Gregory Jacobs, direct, and it was a good choice. Excellent. I will say Magic Mike XXL, not joking is probably in my top three or five favorite movies of all time Mm -hmm. i love it i watch it a lot i watch it when i'm happy i watch it when i'm sad i watch it when i'm alone i watch it in the shower in the shower in the bedroom in the waterbed um (laughs) fabulous gold it was released in uh july july 1st to be specific of 2015 so jim with that said Tell us about the budget and box office for XXL and what we were doing at the time, other than being pre-COVID and pre-Trump presidency. Yeah, it's back when Obama was president, the good old days. So this one had a double of the budget. We're up to $14 million budget, but it made less than the last one in the box office. It only made $122 million. Oh, only. Only, yeah, only. Wiped their ass with it. What was happening in July of 2015, Jurassic World, which Jurassic Park 3 will be coming out next year, Jurassic World 3, excuse me, was the first movie to make $500 million in its opening weekend, which to me seems like pittance now because yeah. every Marvel movie does that in a day. It does it in an hour. Now, we went down and saw this live at O'Donnell's down at our soccer bar with the Youngstown Outlaws. The United States women's national team won the World Cup against Japan. I remember that big 50-yard bomb by Carly Lloyd, which was amazing. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this after researching. That's when the big AshleyMadison.com hack went down. Remember, all that information got spread all over the internet. I remember, but I can't place... I wouldn't have known that that was 2015. Yeah, I totally forgot, too, but that was a big incident. Started 
looking at me different, put me up on this pedestal like I was some kind of saint or something, you know, and I was like, man, I'm just a singer, simple song. The Alan Jackson update of this month and year, AJ, or Big Al as he lets me call him, the album of the month for July of 2015, Alan Jackson released Angels, and guess what it's called? Angels and Alcohol. That's a hell of a name for an album. Angels and Alcohol. He just has a, a generator, I think, that picks his... Because what you say, 30 albums or something? Like He's... Uh, well, when we talked about the first Magic Mike, he was he released the 17th album three years before this. Wow. So at that point, you just have a, a name generator and just whatever it comes up with, you're like, shoehorn and butt plugs. <laughs> at this point, you're running out of time to figure out what you're going to name your album. Yeah, but I, I think uh, shoehorns and butt plugs might be the best one. The number one song, according to the lovely Billboard.com of July 2015, See You Again by Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Uh, Puth. I I know you're a big Charlie Puth fan. For the longest time, I kept calling him Charlie Puth, and I was corrected. Sounds like Mike Tyson with Charlie Puth. (laughs) Charlie Puth, he's in now. Charlie Puth is known as the subway guy. He does the subway jingle for the $5. It's not even $5 oh. footlongs anymore. It's like the $5.50 footlongs with your number one movie. Oh, I did not expect that to be the number one movie. Wrong. Jurassic World. No surprise. Jurassic World was the number one movie of July 2015, and that's what was going on. Uh, so... With Magic Mike XXL, so the first one was a plot-driven movie, again, about Mike Lane and trying to move forward and shed these negative influences in his life. And in this movie... Three we, years have passed. Three years have passed. And we... In the first one, you you have the same characters returning for the second, which we'll get into. But you had Ken, Tarzan, Tito, Minus Tobias, Dallas and the Kid. Minus Dallas and the Kid. But those characters really didn't have much of a story or even many lines in the first one. The most play that any of those extra characters got was... Pro- and, and you got Big Dick Richie, of course, mm-hmm. who may be the MVP, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. Ken, you saw, was kind of... I think he had a wife. It might have yeah. just been girlfriend, and they were swingers. But really, he was the only character that got any depth in the first one because everything was kind of Mike, Dallas, the kid, and Brooke. So with that said, let's get into the plot of XXL. Three years, as Jim mentioned, have passed since Mike walked out on Dallas and his life as a stripper. Mike now operates Mike Lane Custom Furniture, his own custom furniture business. He receives a call from a stripper he worked with previously named Tarzan, played by Kevin Nash, saying just that Dallas is gone. He says, I have some bad news. Dallas is gone. Mike thinks that Dallas has died. He arrives at a hotel with flowers, you know, dressed in a suit to find that the what in the first movie, they don't really ever call them the Kings of Tampa. No, they but never do. But now they call them the remaining Kings of Tampa, and they're at a pool party. Mike learns from them, because as soon as he walks in, there's like people jumping in the pool and doing all this crazy Def stuff. Def Leppard's playing, I believe. Yeah, and Big Dick Richie is naked, mm-hmm. and they throw Mike in the pool. Mike learns from them that Dallas has not died, but instead, in Miami, he's bailed on them, 
And he took only the kid, and he went to Macau. Did they call it Macaw? Macaw, that's what I'm saying. And then he corrects him and says Macau. Yep. So they tell Mike that their stripping careers are essentially over, but they want to go out with a bang, literally and figuratively. They're driving to the stripper convention in Myrtle Beach for a final performance and a large, hopefully large, payday. They knew that the only way they could get Mike out was something like this, was to... They said, you know, you've got, you know, the woman, you've got the furniture business, you know, you would have never come out if we didn't make something up. So they tell him that Dallas basically is dead or they let him believe Dallas is dead, which he's not. He's just jumped town. So Mike is opposed to the idea. He's done with stripping. He's left that in the past. But later that evening, while he's in his shop working on some custom furniture, Pony by Genuine just happens to come on his playlist. And he goes to town. He does a dance number. Parkour. In, in his uh, in his little shop. And this gives him, it's like a sign. It's a trigger. So the next, what we believe to be the next morning, but I don't know for sure, he shows up and there is a Froyo truck that they're taking, like a food truck. So Tito, a stripper from the first movie, who looks quite a bit different in the second one, but thankfully does. He looks better. Along with Tobias, the drug dealer DJ from the first one who was trying to squeeze kid for the uh, money. They now own that Froyo van, which they're trying to launch as a business. They load that up for the road trip along with, along with Tito and Tobias. It's uh, Mike joins Ken. Y'all got room for one more on this motherfucker? Oh. What? Oh. 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 What the hell are you doing here, man? What do you think I'm doing here, man? You said season day. I ain't missing this shit. Tarzan and Big Dick Richie. And their first night on this road trip, they go to a place called Mad Mary's, which they give us some background and allude to them being there before with the barely legal paralegal. Yeah, it's a drag queen bar. It's a drag queen bar. So a lot of people are a little bit frigid towards Mike. They don't think that he's on this trip for the right reasons. They think his his heart's not in it, and he's just going through the motions. Is this uh, is this how the whole trip is going to be? You're gonna you're gonna be on this thing the whole time? Are you kidding? Relax. I got a bunch of orders. Just came in. All the guys at the shop are just freaking out. If you're gonna be here. Be here, man. Be present. So in order to prove to Richie specifically that his heart is in it, Mike participates in an amateur drag contest. And while the others soon join in and follow, and Tobias ends up winning the contest. And then after Mad Mary's and the drag contest, they essentially crash on the beach. There's like a beach party where they all hang out. Tito meets a girl, and Mike meets one of her friends, a photographer named Zoe. That's protected land, sir. You're destroying sea turtle biosphere with that urine. Are you serious right now? Come on. Really? All right. Don't, don't look at me. Look out into the got it. ocean. We're... I got it. Get the picture. I'm running out. Yes. Thank you. And they flirt and kind of briefly discuss having Amber sex. Amber Heard. Yep. Yeah. They kind of briefly discuss having sex, but they don't. And that's the end of it. So the next morning, back on the road, they take MDMA and Mike convinces the whole group that they should all change their routine. So basically, Richie has like a fire phobia, <laughs> but yet has always done a fireman routine. To kiss. To kiss hotter than hell. And Mike's like, do you like that song? Do you listen to it when you're not dancing? And he's like, that song kills. And he's like, I'm not asking if it kills. He's like, I don't see your point. So he essentially convinces them that Dallas selected all these like hair metal out of date routines for them that they plan on doing. And Mike's like, 
it's not going to work. We've got to get modern. So in order to further convince Richie that they need to change it up. You can find it, man. You got to just like let go, okay? I fucking got it. What? What? Yo, it's like a fucking real wedding. Except like a fantasy. Oh my God, dude. And like I go out in the crowd? Yes. And I like find myself like a real fucking bride? Yes. And, oh, bro, and I do everything with it. Maybe I'll be brides there. Like I have a fucking ring and yes. everything. Yes. And I propose to her. And people throw rice. Yes. Yeah. Throwing yeah. rice. Yeah. rice out of our fucking dude, pants. Dude, get fucking in there all. Everything's so What rice are you fucking talking about, man? They stop at a gas station where they tell Richie to go in and make the cashier smile. So amazing. It's a great scene. Maybe the best scene in both movies. So Big Dick Richie goes in. He does a strip tease for the cashier. And this goes so well that they're all on board to doing new custom routines to suit their specific personalities. However, during the discussion, Tobias kind of nods off from the effects of the drugs. And he drives into the woods. He crashes the Froyo truck into a tree. And everybody's fine with the exception of Tobias who is hospitalized with a grade two concussion concussion and some stitches. And while at the, at the hospital, while they're coming down off the Molly, uh, they reveal to each other some things, but specifically Mike tells them his furniture business is failing. Basically he can't pay uh, health insurance for his employee. And he actually tells him him and Brooke are no longer together. He was going to propose to her. He pulls out a ring. He says he proposed to her with all of her favorite things. And for some reason he can't understand, she uh, declined. So he came on this trip in order to forget about all of that. The group decides to finish what they set out to do. But now with Tobias hospitalized, they're in need of an MC and some transportation. I don't know still. We'll talk about it later. But somehow Mike takes them to Savannah, Georgia to a strip club owned by Rome. Rome played by Jada Pinkett Smith. Is Rome in tonight? Are you a member, sir? No, not a No, we're not members. Uh, mm. I, used to, I used to dance here before it was this. Can you just do me a favor and, and see if you could get my name to Rome, Mike Lane, and if, and if that doesn't do the trick, I guess we'll just stop bothering. Mike has a sort of unspoken history with Rome before he went to work for Dallas, and he has to prove that he still has it for her at this club, but she declines to be their MC. She says no. However, she makes arrangements for Andre from her club to give them a ride. Donald Glover, brother. They go to a mansion to meet up with a girl that Tito knows. I think it's a girl he met on the beach after Mad Mary's. However, when they enter the mansion, they're greeted by a wine-drunk group of middle-aged women. Is Megan here? Hi. My daughter and her friends are outside. Who are you? Oh, you're having a party. We'll just go out. You said Megan was back this way in the guest oh, house? Oh, you hold on. Y'all can't just walk in my house like strangers. During this time, Mike reconnects with Zoe, who's at the mansion, and she tells Mike about a lucrative photography gig that fell through because the married photographer only wanted to sleep with her, wasn't actually interested in her photography. So Mike says, do the Shawn Michaels and come get your smile back. Come to Myrtle Beach. Richie sleeps with one of the women, which is named Nancy, and she lets them drive her ex-husband's Rolls Royce to Myrtle Beach. And when they arrive, they're surprised to see Rome who has had a change of heart and decides to MC for them. She also brings along Malik, who we met at the scene at Rome's Club, and Andre. One of my all-time favorites 
is making an appearance on this stage after a little while away. Magical little dancer. Mm -hmm. He's been gone a little while, but he's back. He has hooked up with the devil himself. And he is back tonight with those friends to entertain your beautiful selves. Here they are, We see a montage of all the performers preparing their new custom routines, and then we see the full performances at the convention, which go about as good as they could hope for, if not better. Mike brings Zoe on stage for his performance, and the, the film essentially ends in celebration as Tobias arrives with the Froyo van, and the group, along with Zoe, watch the fireworks. So that's how it ends. With that said, let's uh, talk about the returning characters and uh, new characters. So again, we had Channing Tatum, Matt Bomer, Joe Manganiello, and Kevin Nash, Adam Rodriguez, Gabriel Iglesias all return as their characters, except they're fully fleshed out characters in this one. Then we have Andy McDowell as Nancy, Amber Heard as Zoe, Jada Pinkett Smith as Rome, Elizabeth Banks makes what sort of a cameo, I would call it, as Paris. Donald Glover's great as Andre. Michael Strahan. The most mindfuck of a person. I can taste it now. <laughs> Speaking of Subway commercials, Michael Strahan is Augustus, and then Stephen Boss as Malik. So with that said, Jim, in the second one, who kind of does it for you? It's Big Dick Richie. By far, Big Dick Richie. What about you? Bangy? No. No? I haven't had actual sex in almost five months. Every time a chick gets a look at it, she's like, how about a blowjob or hand job? Yeah. Just gotta find the right lady, man. That's unfortunate for you. It's like a blessing and a curse at the same time, huh? Laugh at my plight. Look, maybe, maybe it's like the glass slipper, man. You just need to find the right one. Dude, I'm 35 years old, okay? If it hasn't happened already, it ain't gonna happen. And I would also have to say Andre, Donald Glover, but Big Dick Richie is far, far away the MVP of this second movie. I'm really glad they let they fleshed out the characters for one they allowed them to again in the first movie none of these guys really even had speaking roles so there's a lot of opportunities in the second movie where they peel back the layers and let us see their characters but it's almost it seems like joe manganiello being joe manganiello it's, to me it seems like all of them were just being who they are in real life which made their characters even more amazing the one thing about big dick richie which is divulged in this movie he hasn't had sex in five months because women see how big his dick is and they will not let him penetrate him. Yeah, and, they're that, worried. and that made me weird for the average or normal for the average person to not have sex in five months. Yeah. But for these guys who live this lifestyle as male entertainers, I mean, it's there anytime they want it. But Richie hasn't penetrated a woman because he's big dick richie for a reason yeah but he's i would say he's the glue even more than mike that keeps this whole group together by yeah, far i mean he really drives the plot because he is the one who's mad at mike and then they have their you know they break the ice i'd say his performance at the end is probably the best of all the routines it's yeah he's definitely great donald glover also is he's beyond great in everything yeah he's great in this so 
that's kind of what I got. So let's get into best scenes from Magic Mike XXL. I have quite a few. I will go first. Okay, go for it. The first one, as I mentioned, probably the best scene in both movies is the convenience store. Tell me why. It's beyond amazing. So Big Dick Richie goes into a convenience store and there's a girl who looks like Amy Schumer. Yeah, dime store Amy Schumer. <laughs> and she's working there and she's just looking down at her phone. So Richie's trying to like bend over in front of her. He's coming off dance. Molly. They're coming down. Yeah, off they're Molly. coming down from Molly. He's trying to dance for her and she's just not even looking Two Backstreet Boys, I want it yeah. that way. So he goes and essentially grabs a bag of Cheetos and like bursts it open like he's ripping his shirt and they go everywhere and that's when she notices you know Big Dick Richie. He then reaches in the cooler, gets a bottle of water, rubs himself down with it, pours it on himself, and then like dances for her, takes his shirt off, and gets up to the counter, and she's still stone-faced, probably like, what is this guy doing? And then he says, how much do I owe you for the water and Cheetos? And she busts out laughing. The joy oh, in the other joy. guys out the window watching this, when she smiles, their celebration, it's like, it's like the end of Major League when they win the pennant. Yeah. It's just the exuberant celebration. It's so good. It's because they're finally doing it on their own without being under the guise of Dallas. That's yes. the big thing. Yes, they're doing it on their own. They're it's finally Mike has convinced them this will work. Mm -hmm. So what's your first? Okay, so my first one, and we'll we'll talk about this more, maybe in the concession stand area, but it's the weird Ken Mike relationship, and it go it comes to like a culmination on the beach where he punches him. Yeah. But the morning after, they sit there and they have a powwow off the back of the truck. I'm happy you finally got what you wanted, man. Yeah. I am. No, I, we say shit all the fucking time, but you went and did it, man. I'm jealous. Oh, right? I'm oh jealous. shut the fuck up. I am. No, if there's anybody that was jealous, it was me. What? Every time I would come over to your apartment, I remember I'd put on your Tide commercial. <laughs> oh, this was dope. I, for, for that extra clean. Ding. <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, look at it. I, I, would, I would think to myself I'd be set if I sure. could just get the working place. Yeah, I'm so real set. I'm real set. My agent's got me doing YouTube videos now, man. So what are you going to do after this weekend, though? Send my head shut around, hope for the best. There's a casting director who comes by the club sometimes, so. I'm still pretty. <laughs> yeah, I know you're still pretty, but hey, look at these guys. What are they gonna do after this? I don't know. Like, you can find out, like, in this scene, why, you know, all the issues that Ken has had and how he's struggling to try to find a life for himself without stripping because this is all he ever knew and he's very talented like he loves to sing and he wants to get a record contract but he's having a very difficult time in order to do it and basically mike is like dude you're talented you can do this just you you know th there's more to life than just stripping and he's trying to come to grips with that fact but like when it first starts the movie ken has this anger that mike's coming along i shouldn't say anger trepidation and mike's come along because he thinks it's just gonna be a joke to hang out with his boys and they know this is their last hurrah because after this convention they don't know what they're gonna do with their lives yet right dallas is taken off there's nope. no club 
I mean, they could get jobs at another club, but these Tarzan's guys, 57. Yeah, these guys are <laughs> barely moved, probably in their 30s and stuff. And like, what you're going to go work at another club? It's just uh, my next one is actually very heavy on Ken's character, Matt Bomer's character. They go to this mansion it's where like a plantation. Yeah, almost. it's like a plantation mansion where Tito's there to meet up with a girl that he met on the beach who after, left her phone number on his groin. Yeah, after Mad Mary's. So they walk in and Andy McDowell greets them and says, what are you boys doing? No, sit down. Like, they're like, we're here for your daughter. And she's like, no, no, sit down. Like, so this scene is very important because this is like, we get some exposition. That's the first time we learn anything about these characters. Like we learned that Tarzan's name is actually Ernie. <laughs> uh, I'm Mike. It's Tito. Tito. Ken. Yeah. Richie. Uh, Ernest. Ernest, Ernest, Ernest blows my mind and that he he gives this whole soliloquy about how he doesn't he's too old like he thinks that he's never gonna get married and then you have they're basically playing like an adult version of truth or dare where they're all going through and telling stories and telling about their their sex life kiss and tell and the one lady says that she's never had sex with her husband with the lights on so Matt Bomer as Ken serenades her with heaven by brian adams you can sing oh, nothing can take you away from me we've been down that road before <laughs> but that's all keep me coming back for more baby you're all that i want when you're lying here in my arms finding it hard to believe we're in heaven Come on, boys. Yeah. If love is all that I need, and I found it there in your heart, it isn't too hard to see where in heaven. And it's, it's awesome. It's a really good scene. And you see Mike dip out, you know, to talk to Zoe and everything. But it's this is just a scene where it's like, you know, in a road trip movie, this is where the bonding occurs. You know, there's a lot like... That's, I think, one of the things I like about this movie. I like road trip movies. You know, like, Revenge of the Nerds, awesome. These, you know, moments where it's like... Male camaraderie. We watched the first movie and enjoyed it, but we didn't know anything about these characters. No. And now we're, like, learning that, that setting where, you know, we find out later in this movie that Ernie was in Desert Storm, and Mike tells him, I never knew that. But this is a scene where it's just... It's interesting. You you get this back and forth, you know, probably too long of a scene, but you find out more about each of the characters. Plus, I find that scene very weird that her husband would run and turn off the lights for sex. I Maybe I'm in minority because I'm a guy, ladies and gentlemen out there. I need to see. I don't need yeah. full brights on. I, I just need some sort of direction. I need to know where I'm going well, with it, things. It is weird because it seems like the guy would want the lights on. Mm -hmm. And the girl would want him off. But in this case, the guy, like, you know, refuses to do anything with the lights on. And that's the woman's wish. I'm a very visual person. I almost sound like Annie McDowell there with a deep voice. That was weird. My second one would be the hospital room. Now, trip's over. All I wanted was one more fucking ride. Is that too much to ask? Oh, it's Richie going to cry because life isn't exactly the way he wants it right now. Oh, okay, Mr. CEO. Why don't you take your bullshit advice and give it to your fucking employees? Employees? I have one employee, and I can't even pay for his health care. But I bust my ass every month to keep it going. 
So don't act like we don't all have problems, all right? Oh, whatever, man. I'm the one who told you coming with us was a horrible idea. Oh, it's been the year of the horrible idea, man. You want to see another horrible idea? There's a nice, juicy, horrible idea for you. Brooke said no. Look, I had my life all planned out with her. All right, I, I, it was all perfectly set up. I had the house, I had the dog, I had Downton Abbey on the weekends. I even did the proposal on the beach with bacon and mimosas and pancakes and all that. And for whatever reason that I'll probably never understand, she wanted something else. So I came on this trip with you fucks to just try to get on with it. So I'm gonna be damned if I'm gonna just let it end right here and now. After the car accident, Gabriel Iglesias, a.k.a. Tobias, is basically knocked out. Joe Manganiello, a.k.a. Big Dick Richie, they're coming off the molly, and he's getting pissed off. He's like, why did you... They all threw their, their old routines literally out the window. They threw their costumes out the window, and all of a sudden, he has this crisis of confidence telling him, like, why the fuck did you do this? Why did you throw this out? What are we going to do? We can't, we can't go to this convention now. We're going to be a laughingstock. We're garbage. And this is also where Mike reveals, hey... I was going to I was going to ask Brooke to marry me. Here's this ring. I was stupid. I I don't have employees. I'm struggling. I don't know what I'm going to do. I wanted to do this to do one last ride with you guys to see if it's possible that I still got it. This encompasses this encompasses both movies in one shell and it brings along the story kind of from the first movie that these guys are more than just male strippers. They have lives they have charisma, but they need to know how to develop what's going to happen to them after they're done with this journey. And it's such a great revealing scene, even though Tobias is completely passed out. Ken's doing his weird Eastern medicine Zen thing, but it seems to work and it triggers them to, hey, we can do this. Let's go do this. We'll find a way to get to Myrtle Beach. Yeah. And so immediately following this scene, the next scene is basically the hospital scene ends with Mike saying... I think I have an idea. So we don't know how. There's probably a logic issue, which we don't do logic on our deep end episodes. But a logic issue is how do they get from this hospital to Savannah, Georgia, to Rome's Club, which I can't remember the actual name of Rome's Club, but they essentially arrive. Domino. Domino. There you go. They arrive at Domino. They're standing outside. Some guys in tuxes greet them outside. It's interesting. It's almost like a brothel. Almost. It it's really weird. And these guys say, are you gentlemen members? Because you have to be a member. And Mike goes, I kind of know Rome. Uh, you know, I used to dance here. If you can get my name to her, you know, we'll see what happens. Otherwise, we'll leave. So using his name gets them inside. And Mike doesn't, he's not forthright in telling Rome while he, why he's there. He just says, we were in town and we decided to stop. So, but while they're in this club, you're hearing like so many sex jams. <laughs> they're women wall to wall. Every single room has its own setup. It's, it's like its a own haunted design. house for sex. Yeah, it is. I love it's sex. Like, I love sex hauntings. But it's like, uh, <laughs> there's a dancer in every room. And I mean, there is like piles and piles of money just being thrown michael strahan doing his best Arn anderson spine buster impression yeah there's and it's you know there's all these just great choreography amazing dancing malik you know is a great dancer and then essentially rome grows tired of the act and she tells mike what are you here for and he says we need an mc for the convention and she's kind of like pissed so she basically is going to ask mike to prove his worth 
So she says dance. He kind of declines to dance. So she calls for Malik. And then when Malik starts to dance, Mike does like this big flipping leapfrog Full over him. parkour. And then Mike does like some really cool, innovative, like dancing with these stacks, these girls on top of each other. And he flips them every which way. And he carries them around like from his feet to the, you know, all over the place. And, um, but yeah, the whole scene's cool. The whole soundtrack from start to finish in this That's scene. That's excellent. Donald Glover singing. And, yeah. Oh my God. That's Childish great. Gambino. Yeah, Donald Glover's character. What was the name of that song? Caroline, this could be something special. Not this love of mine could never let go. And if I make you mine, I'm not treating so special. Be mine. He's a singing stripper. So Rome pulls a girl aside who's there for her celebrate her divorce. And essentially, Donald Glover his whole Andre's whole character is to freestyle while he like strips basically. So he writes a freestyle about the girl he's dancing for and then sings. He gets the crowd participation. The only thing that he's missing is the tons of money that the girls throw at everyone else. And he doesn't really seem to have it, but it's impressive. It's cool. And I will say even I will include after they leave and Rome tells Andre to give them a ride. I really like, Ken and Andre's conversation. They bond they quite bond a bit. in the car ride. They're in like an Escalade. I sang in Dream Along with Mickey at Disney World from 03 to 05. <laughs> what? Yeah, man. For real. I mean, I started out as the Donald Duck understudy, but I, I was playing Mickey by my second year. Got signed by an agent, booked a couple regional commercial spots. And one day I heard an ad on the radio looking for dancers, and you know how that shit goes. <laughs> and when I started this, I thought, um, man, I thought I'd hate it. But now, if the, if like the EP blew up tomorrow, I'd probably still do this on the side. What? I'm serious. You're shitting me. Do, do you see how many girls I meet every day yes, for free? For free. I don't got to pay for, all I got to do is sing. And you think about that, like, these girls have to deal with men in their lives every day who they don't listen to them, they don't ask yeah. them what they want. They don't even ask them what they want. All we gotta do is ask them what they want. Yeah. And when they tell you, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's like, yeah. we're like, we're like healers or something. And he tells Ken, you know, I really want to be a singer. I have an EP. And that's actually Ken's background is that he worked at Disney. He has an agent. He's done some commercials, but he really wants to be a singer. And uh, they connect. They're like the same. They're like kindred spirits. I brought up the fact, too. It's only a matter of time before Matt Bomer becomes Superman, right? He yeah. looks the part of yeah, Clark Kent so, and Superman. You know, handsome, and he looks like... Corn-fed Clark yeah, Kent. Stereotypical Clark Kent. Okay, so my next one is, I mentioned briefly, that Richie's big issue is his dick. It's a gift and a curse that every time he's in a sexual situation that he wants to pork a chick, she is intimidated by the size of his dong. However, when they end up at the mansion or plantation in Savannah, he ends up, we find out, having sex with Andy McDowell. Yeah. Did you bang him? Did you bang him? Yes. Did you bang him? Was she the glass slipper? Yes, man. That yes. beautiful, nice lady was a glass slipper. <sighs> All of it. Every inch. Y'all had a crazy connection, man. I can feel it. I'm so happy for you. 
And it's what Magic Mike refers to as they found the glass slipper to fit his quote unquote shoe. You're just so happy for the dude, even though. Oh, they're silent celebration. Yeah. They're in the kitchen having some breakfast. Mm -hmm. And Annie McDowell walks in with Richie together. So obviously something was up. And she kind of gives them like the bro bro handshake (laughs) where she puts a key, like what is revealed to be a key in his hand. And they said, did, did you, you know, did you, and, uh, they can't celebrate too loudly. He silently shrugged. Yes. Yeah. But they, and they said the whole thing every inch and he, <laughs> he shrugs. Yes. So yeah, definitely cool, cool scene. You found his cockerella. All right. And then, uh, my final is just the final performance. It's amazing. So they do the whole montage leading up where you kind of get a hint of what they might be doing. Like, cause it's a montage. There's no Nat sound. It's just music played over it. And you see like Matt Bomer's recording something with headphones and Tarzan's painting something. And they do this all in a day. Yeah. Mind you. Yeah. They big Dick Richie is building something. Uh, sex swing. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, uh, Tito making some Sundays, and you've got Mike and Malik are doing some sort of routine that they're trying to learn. So when we get to the, the now, when they get to the convention, they don't have a spot. Not at all. They drove here three days for an eight-hour trip, but they drove here and they didn't. They weren't even on the With bill. No guarantee. They weren't even booked. You got a spot for us? This girl taught me everything I know. <sighs> Who is it? Ten twenty bumper grinders. <clears throat> All right. For her. 1020. That's why I love you. That's a money spot. I expect y'all make some money in that spot. And I told you it ties into grind. Yeah. Like they weren't even sponsored by anybody and they thought they could just walk in yeah, and get it. Yeah, they thought they were just going to walk in and you know Paris knows Mike, but until they reveal that Rome is their MC, she gives them a spot. Not only a spot, the, the main event. They bumped bump and grinders. Yeah. To, so they are the main event of the convention and they do individual solo performances. But no, no judging. Yes. Yeah. No judging. No judging or anything. It's but, an exp- expedition. So solo performances. Tito does the candy shop mm-hmm. where he brings three girls up Ugh. and he essentially makes a Sunday of them. The whole fucking place is going to smell like dairy. So in both movies, I have issues where... <laughs> If I go anywhere, I don't want to come home unless I'm going to an ICP concert and I'm covered in Fago. (laughs) I don't want to go anywhere that I'm going to be covered in something. But do you want to have like dairy all over you? No. Smell rotten. He puts like sprinkles and whipped cream and hot and he blows a whipped cream load on all three of them. And so he does that. You have um, Tarzan. Tarzan paints something invisible, which turns out to be glue. And then he, so while this girl's modeling for him, he throws buckets of glitter at the painting and it reveals a glitter painting of the girl that's sitting there. It's pretty cool. Matt Bomer performs Mm D'Angelo's Untitled and sings and he lays down and collects (laughs) $10,000. And then you have Andre who sings Bruno Mars. Marry You. Is it called Marry You? Mm -hmm. While essentially Joe Manganiello, Big Dick Ritchie, grabs a girl out of the crowd goes through like a mini marriage ceremony and then has the night of the, the wedding. 50 shades of gray. Puts her in the sex swing, you know, reveals the letter. That she stuff. stays in the entire time. Yes. And then the main event of the main event, Mike and Malik dance as if they're a mirror. Yep. So there's almost like there's a big mirror. Mike pulls, well, Rome pulls Zoe on stage for Mike and they 
It's cool. It's really neat. There's no way they learned it in a day. <laughs> They're not that they didn't learn it in a day. There's no way they got it it's to perfect, that level. In I a mean, day. it's perfect choreography. So then to follow the successful blow off of the performance, the final scene of the movie, they cut out the Nat sound. They're all celebrating on the boardwalk. You see the fireworks. Um, Tobias arrives with the Froyo van. He's reconnected with them. It's just, it's, exuberance you know we don't know what holds the what the future holds yeah but there's exuberance for now they they did what they set out to do i would love if they did a sequel though like a third and final but i could see why they probably never will well because it wraps it up stripping yeah they don't because you know they'd all be businessmen or yeah businessmen Uh, anything else that you want to talk about no i had all my scenes yeah all right so let's uh we spent some time in the pool but it's time to get out pool check This is our second pool check of the day, and appropriate for this movie, we're going to cover lovemaking, sex, fuck jams, yeah. whatever you want to call yeah, boner go, jams. Yeah. Boner jams. Yeah. So as the cab is fully saturated within our bloodstreams, we are ready to give you all some of the greatest sex music of your life. My number five, probably not anyone's sex jam, but... It's a song that's that's near and dear to our hearts. Ill Al Scratch, I'll Take Her. <laughs> oh, such a great song. It's Brian McKnight. Such a great song. The Brian McKnight hook. Uh, Took her to the bedroom, said, mm, I'll take her. <laughs> it's just so... It's, it's good. It's, the song's great. The video's weirdly questionable, though. The video's super weird, but you don't have to have the video on. You don't need a video. And so that not a lot to say about it. Just uh, you'll hear it behind me and... And go listen to the full version. I highly recommend it. Okay, so full disclosure here. My number five, I actually used during a oh, no. sex scene. It is Sade Smooth Operator. Hell yeah. <laughs> I I used it once. Uh, I did not ask to for, you know, I did not ask that, hey, can I put this song on? This was requested by the lady I was with at the time. And ironically enough... My favorite wrestler of all time used the theme song, Ravishing Rick Rude, Smooth, op- Smooth Operator. song works perfectly for any type of sexual maneuver you want to get done. Now, granted... What's any I, sexual maneuver you want to get done? <laughs> any sexual maneuver. It's like a menu? It's like a menu. I pull out a three-page menu of what would you like, darling? Here's the problem. And I think most guys out there will not admit this like I'm about to. I maybe got 15 seconds into Smooth Operator, and uh, not because I got sick of the song. It's because the... The mind was willing, but the body came up short. You're not so, a smooth operator. Not a smooth operator. I, so full disclosure, I will say, I don't think that I ever purposely played music during intercourse. <laughs> like there might have been music playing at times, but like I never once was like, let's put on some some sex music and do it. Now, can I give you a quick sex guy den, a.k.a. sex side story with a girl I was dating once while we were house sitting her brother's house. She decided to put on Def Leppard's When Love and Hate Collide, which oh, yeah. not the best thing to put on during sex when love and hate collide. <laughs> so there's my sex guy den. Oh, that was it? Okay. Yeah, there you go. So the only the closest I think I came to to. <laughs> yeah, to putting, to having sex music on during sex is right after high school. Oh, shit. I was talking to this girl on and off and like, uh, I don't even know how I want to tell the story. Anyway, she <laughs> she wanted, before we actually did the, the full deed, mm-hmm. she wanted to plan the whole thing out. Ugh. Like, uh, 
She pulled out an itinerary. Yeah, but she essentially I pr- might still have it somewhere. But <laughs> she wrote out like that'll a, be for our Patreon not a, people. Yeah. You're a, you're I swear, if somebody's willing to pay for the for Patreon, itinerary. I will. I will upload it. Um, but she put like a list. Like she wrote me a note of literally things that. Like everything that it, in hindsight, it would have been awful. Yeah. Because it's almost like you need to follow this. At 24 seconds, doggy. At 27 yeah. seconds, bite my but neck. It was like, this is the song I want to play. And Call me Brenda. It's funny because some of the songs that she wanted to play was like Dashboard Confessional. And like none of those songs are cheery. They're all about like cheating and drinking and Can stuff. Can you play so. Sinead O'Connor? Yeah. <laughs> you play nothing compares to you. Uh, so after all that. Number four is a <laughs> song that's featured in this movie, and it's it's funny. It comes full circle. So it, it's it's D'Angelo Untitled. Oh, it's great. And it's in this movie. It's really a great one, but everybody remembers about the video for D'Angelo Untitled is that he had the muscles he had the called s- the D'Angelos. He had the Vs. So the reason that that girl started talking to me is because... When I played soccer, I had the had D'Angelo V. You had the V. And we were at a house one day, just hanging out like his friends, like a group of us. And we were like throwing a football or something. And my shirt came up and she could not resist the V. So she like saw it and she was like, you got those D'Angelo's. I got to have it. Here's my menu of things <laughs> I need to happen. And uh, yeah, so that's that was it. That's uh, D'Angelo untitled. How does it feel? My number four. It's probably surprising that I have it this high on my list. Boys to Men, I'll Make Love to You. Yeah. Now, this is just, I mean, it's a great boner jam. I mean, how can you not want to make sex to this song? However, I can understand why a lot of people don't want to because of the connotation being very deep. I'll make love to you because people separate sex and fucking from love making. So I can get why a lot of people don't get it, but you want to make love to your man or your lady. You put on this song, you pour the wine, you light the fire. Hopefully, the fire is in a fireplace, unlike what Lisa Left Eye Lopez did to Andre Rison's house and lit that son of a bitch on you fire. Throw your clothes on the floor. Or yeah. if you're playing Karaoke Revolution, which was PG, yeah. you throw your rose on the floor. Yeah, and I've thrown not I too many take roses. I my rose off, too. <laughs> I might plans to be with you. So, yeah, my number four was Boyz II Men off the two album. My number three, also in Magic Mike XXL. God, it's so horny. It's, <laughs> what, is, it, is it the horny song we've so talked horny. about? No, it's Jodeci freaking you. Yes. Which I, you know, a parental advisory. I wish that every time that they sing freaking you, I wish she'd say, I want to fuck you. Actually, I think one of the first lyrics in the song is every time I get my, every time I close my eyes, I wake up feeling so horny. So it's like. It is a horny, horny song. <laughs> it is like screaming and begging and moaning. Man, it is, it's a horny one. My number three is Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> My number three is going to be a little different. I'm going to change it up here. However, the one thing that is a constant in this besides the lead is Master P. And it's not make him say, uh. It's Master P and Montel Jordan's Let's Ride. Wow. Montel Jordan's second album. And yes, I did buy the CD because it banged in my Dodge Neon with the 10-inch woofer in the back with a 250-watt amp. The problem with this song, and I have tried to use this during sex making, Master P jumps in randomly (laughs) and just goes, Uh... Uh... 
Nothing's better than when you're trying to get your shit going and then Master P decides to pun a fucking sheep. Isn't that the noise you make during this? Let's ride. No, normally what I say is, I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't know. I start crying. But Master P, I'm sorry, it should be Montel Jordan featuring uh, Let's Ride. Turn that song on. It's a really deep bass. It's a good. It, this song would be perfect if they did Magic Mike XXXL business class. Now, my number two, I know that you know this. They call me US. H E R R A Y M O N D. Yeah, it's nice Usher, slow. nice and slow. You know, I'm coming over, right? For that little nice thing I like. It's uh, another very, very horny song. And I think Usher was pretty young. This is off the this My was, Way yeah, album. This is 97. And this was kind of a uh, a different side of Usher. I mean, he was an R&B singer, but he wasn't that horny yet. No. So he got real horny with this one. He had to wait till 8701 came out, which is a great album. Yeah, so, but I will admit, this song, luckily, all my, my name fills it out perfectly. Yeah, mine doesn't. They call me J-A-M-E-S-C-I-B-E-L-L-A. So it always worked out perfectly. Have you ever sang that to a girl? Uh, no, okay. I didn't, because it would be followed by laughter. And it wouldn't be any coffee in the morning. So my number two would be a song that we've kind of somewhat would be a part of this podcast, especially in the name. And I've learned this from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which we will be covering soon. Cashmere by Def Leppard. Wow. Because if you remember in the movie, Damone, hey, isn't this great? That guy recommended to Brian, hey, if you want to get in her pants, you want the night to go good, make sure you put on side two of Led Zeppelin 4, and that's Cashmere. You said Def Leppard. Did I say Def yeah. Leppard? Jesus, it's getting late. I knew Led what you Zeppelin. meant. I mean, there's no Cashmere to be mistaken. <laughs> now, can I be completely honest with you and all you pool seniors and lifeguards out there? Up until I was probably, embarrassingly enough, 17 or 18, I could not tell you what song was Led Zeppelin or Def Leppard because I thought Yikes. they were one and the same. How bad is that? They're very different. Being older, I am embarrassed that at one point I thought Pour Some Sugar on Me was well, Led Zeppelin. I guess the names are. No, there's no excuse for that. That's just pathetic. Thanks for trying to save me on that. But Cashmere, isn't this great? Number two. My number one is the number one. I don't care what your number one is because my number one is the definitive big old boner jam. It's. Red Light Special yep, by that's TLC. my number one. I'm so glad yep. that we're on the same page. Yeah. Because that's it. Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the boner jam. I hear that song, I get hard. Yeah. Blue it is. It is the jam. Uh, there's some weird lyrics. Not weird. Um, but No, there says, is. When it came out, it were very weird to a 13-year-old Jim. She... She I'll likes let you touch butt it. stuff. Oh, she loves butt because stuff. Because it's like, I'll let you go further if you take the southern route. Yeah. She likes butt stuff. It's fine. Butt stuff's good for a man or a woman. It's fine. <laughs> but she likes butt stuff. Uh, not a lot to be said. So, I mean, she likes some front area yeah, play. Yeah. she. It was cool that TLC kind of, you know, a lot of these horny songs are male dominated. Oh, my God. This, so for TLC to release and Red Light Special. And we mentioned side breast and Creep yeah, 232. So for... TLC and P- TLC seemed their first album. They wore a lot of like cross colors, like oversized what Looney Tunes clothes, and like overalls. Crazy sexy. Cool. And then for crazy sexy cool, they traded in all those clothes for silk pajamas. I'm gonna say it's probably one of the best albums of the '90s oh, by far. Incredible. Now incredible. I have a. I've talked about this briefly in previous episodes. 
in junior high, we had the song dedication book. Oh, you know no. how many couples dedicated red light special to each other? I didn't know what the fuck it meant. I literally thought it was a Kmart thing. Yeah. I thought it was like, oh, blue light. What's a red light special? Is that a closeout? I'll take you to Kmart and get you. Wait, you take you to the K Cafe, get a grilled yeah. cheese sandwich. Yes. And a magazine. And a GoBot. Chopped them as Dave. <laughs> Because my mom couldn't afford to get me a Transformer and Optimus Prime. Yeah. I got chopped. So, day. Yeah, it's cool that an all-female group. Such a great took song. That sort of thing. So some honorable mentions. I love 90s R&B. So oh a lot God. of 90s R&B. Mm -hmm. Knocking the Boots by H-Town. I forgot about Knocking the Boots. Some body rocking Knocking the Boots. Shy. Shy, yeah. Slow Motion by Juvenile. Okay, I have one. Tech Nine, Caribou Lou. I have no idea. What oh, that is. dude. 151 worm, pineapple juice, caribou lou. Tech nine. Wow. Yeah, good shit. Uh, anywhere by 112. Oh, hell yeah. That was in the movie. How about Closer by Nine Inch Nails? Yeah, that also was in, in the, the movie. movie. Color Me Bad. I want to sex you up. That's a great one. Uh, that has making love till we both wake up. Mm -hmm. So they were doing it while they were sleeping. They were having trance sex. And then making love until we drown is <laughs> also a good one. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Broken Wings. Okay. <laughs> How about Afternoon Delight? Yeah, which is a sex song. And it's also, it's about a quickie. Yeah. It's uh, in PCU. It's very, very white. And uh, it's very right. Yeah. Gonna find my baby. Gonna hold her tight. Uh, it's an anchor man. You might best know it from that. Yes. We don't like to talk about R. Kelly that much no. because he's an awful uh, he's criminal. Fucking piece of but shit. God, bump and grind. Bump and grind. Cookie. God. And cookie. Ignition remix. Uh, Pony. Genuine, Pony. which is yeah, a I mean, I movies. didn't want to clue that because you how know. about uh, another horny one? Uh, Tupac, Casey and Jojo. How do you want it? Yes. That's a very horny one. Any Barry White. Oh, God. Like any like Teddy Pendergrass, Al Green. Sex Bomb, Tom Jones. Okay. That's a good one. Deep yeah. Cut. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's any 90s R&B. Love Gun, any, Kiss. Yeah. We keep, we keep forgetting about hair metal, cock rock stuff. Yeah, a lot of hair metal. Yeah. And some, yeah, I mean, these mostly, I mostly had R&B, but there's definitely Better some. Better Roses, Bon yeah, Jovi. there's definitely some, like, rock Shout out ones. to Fred Whitaker and Bon there's Jovi. There's definitely some, uh, some Brian Adams and some. Oh, have you ever really loved the yeah, woman? Richard Marks. Oh. Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton. Oh, my God. Michael yeah. Buble. Yep. Yep. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Why don't we go ahead. Get back in the pool and uh, and lay in this plane here shortly. Big Dick Rick G, pants off. Everybody back in the pool. Yeah, he's allowed in the pool without his pants. <laughs> he's got to stir the drink. That's uh, <laughs> Get that chlorine. That okay, this low. is attention swimmers. Join us poolside. Grab a hot dog. Kick back. It's time for the concession stand. You heard the audio cue. It is our section called the concession stand where we compare and contrast the two movies and ask the hard hitting questions. Why don't I jump right off the bat and I know the answer. It's the same answer as mine. Which movie's better? Second one. XXL, definitely. It's, as we mentioned, it's character driven. It's fun. To me, the best part of the second movie is the pacing. It's like home run scene after home run scene after home run scene. And it's it's a totally different movie from the first one. I'm glad the first one exists to pave the way for the second one. The first one is also a very good movie, but the second one's first just, one is kind of eh, it comes off a bit dark. Yeah, it's a little dark and it's more yeah. of like a you know, an award type movie where the second one is just a fun ride. These movies are built around soundtracks. Which one has the better soundtrack? 
It would have to be two because you get like a, a complete, you know, amalgamation at the it's very end Backstreet of the movie. Did it for you? Yeah, I, yeah, I'll totally admit. Even though I'm more of an in sync guy, the yeah. first one, I mean, it's had good. More hair metal, yeah. and Your typical male strip club type music, right? Which payoff is better? Is it Mike pays off the kids over $10,000 debt, quits dancing, gives up the lifestyle, starts his own business and settle down with Brooke? Or do you like the group of aging friends celebrate their accomplishments of successfully pulling off what they set out to do? First off, like I said, talking about the first movie, Brooke was dead behind the eyes when it came to soul or mustering any type of emotion other than pensive. There's no doubt in my mind that a group of buddies going on a road trip trying to figure out let's have one last ride before our lives take different paths or it's by far the best yeah i my issue with the first one is that they threw it all out the window yeah so like brooke says no to mike they don't stay together he you know he's planning on starting his own business which he gets but his business is kind of failing so none of that you know first he throws ten thousand dollars out the window basically to sever his relationship with Dallas. And then the, the second one, the payoff's great. The the sad thing about the second one is that again, you don't know what's gonna happen after this credits roll. Mm-hmm. Do these guys like their history of stripping haunt them? Mm-hmm. Do they, you know, have any success in life after that? That's why I'd like to see a, a sequel would be nice. Okay. Is Dallas a piece of shit? Oh, it's beyond a piece of shit. I think shit's being too light. I can I can understand though if you're a small business owner you know, it's in your best interest to try to make the most profit for yourself. You know what? I will compare it to using my life experiences. Dallas is, even though he's still talented, don't get me wrong, Dallas still has talented. He is that guy that doesn't know when to hang it up and quit, too. Yeah. He still thinks he's one of the guys, like I've seen when I've DJed, and God bless him, when I see guys in their 60s with outdated equipment, you know, very nice, very warm. They they understand things, but they don't know when to quit yep. and when to get out when they should. That's what Dallas comes to. And like I said, the mentality of a businessman, you're trying to make money. You're doing the best you can. Like you went from a 10% cut. You're down to a 7.5% cut. He wants his dream of going to Miami and yeah. in Macau, apparently. Well, I mean, I've, I've mentioned, I think, once before on the podcast that I'm a former professional wrestler. I thought you were going to say a professional dancer. I'm a former professional dancer, despite my body. But yeah, a former professional wrestler. And, you know, there's a, and it might be another reason I like this movie so much because I can see a lot of parallels in that type of performance and business to wrestling. And, you know, there's a lot of these Dallas guys. There's a lot of promoters who are quick to screw people over and run and look out for themselves. They don't really... You know, you may think he needs me, but he can replace you tomorrow. You really, you know, putting yourself in Mike's shoes, he he doesn't really need you. So I will say Dallas is a piece of shit, but I guess I don't blame him. A couple things you've brought up, or you brought it up a couple times. Do you want or need more Magic Mike? So aside from the 2018 musical that launched in London. Need? No. Want? Absolutely. Because... If it wasn't for the second movie, we wouldn't know about their characters, their depth, their wants, their needs, their dreams, their desires after stripping. I kind of want to know what has happened and say, say they do one in 2023. What's happened in the past five years? Here's my idea. Okay, go for it. 
Netflix series or like Hulu, Prime, whatever, but a series. Like a limited series, like 10 no, episodes? Or not just- necessarily, but a series. Still call it Magic Mike. All new characters. They're now traveling strippers. So as you and I mentioned during we watched this movie, there we don't have male strip clubs around here. Mm. You know, there's quite a few strip clubs in the surrounding Cleveland, Pittsburgh, male reviews. Akron. They do pop-ups. Yeah. You know, they'll book a banquet center and have a male review. It's not Vegas. They'll do it at a bar, whatever. And but and I think I've even seen maybe at a, an adult, you know, gentleman's club, one night a month they'll do a men, yeah. you know, where you can go there, whatever. But ultimately, it's pop-ups. So those strippers may not be local. They may come in and make the trip. So I would make a show revolved around that type of stripper. So not even necessarily in Florida. Could be California. Could be anywhere. Traveling strippers who do these pop-ups and kind of the hijinks that they get into with life on the road. But in that series you do come across the characters I was gonna ask about that. from the movie. So you've got young characters, you know, all new characters, but maybe, you know, they get some guidance from Richie mm. or, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe in some way their their paths cross. As long as it doesn't become an American Pie thing where they just bash the yeah, name of the no, franchise. No, I would keep it limited and I would... uh you know, keep the name Magic Mike on there. And then that way you get updates from the characters. But it's essentially it's a new thing. I don't think there needs to be a third movie with these. I just they're not strippers. Anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they're you know, they're doing something else. I want to see Tarzan on Wall Street. So uh, we'll get in a couple logic issues here. First, my biggest issue. So I love Magic Mike XXL, but I have a major one of my biggest logic plot holes that I, I really bothers me and i wish that maybe there's deleted scene that explains it they're leaving from tampa to go to myrtle beach for the convention driving from tampa to myrtle beach is eight hours it's an eight hour drive however none of the logistics makes sense i think that they leave in the morning they appear to yeah but even if they leave in the evening it's eight hours i mean that's a so if they leave at six they're in at 2 a.m yeah yeah but they go to Mad Mary's the first night, and I, it seems like that might be the plan, which mm-hmm. Mad Mary says it's in Jacksonville, so yeah. Tampa to Jacksonville. So they only drive three hours the first night. Now, I've taken many a road trip. I've driven eight hours in a day, like back and forth. Like I've driven four hours here, four hours back. I've driven 10 hours. I've driven, I've driven to Florida from Ohio. I've, you know, 24 hours I've driven in a a day basically straight through. So I don't know why they're taking such fragmented trips, but they drive from Tampa to Jacksonville about three hours. They stay on the beach at Mad Mary's in the truck or they sleep on the beach. And then when they wake up the next day, they get in the accident. We don't know where that's at. They somehow end up at the hospital in uh, wherever the hospital's at. And then from the hospital, they go to Savannah, Georgia. And then from Savannah, Georgia to Myrtle Beach is like the final three hours, I think. So it takes them three full days to get from Tampa to Myrtle Beach. And I just don't really understand why they don't just say like, let's let's take a three day road trip or even just put up a later that day or the next day. Yeah, it's just weird that they don't like that. They 
spread out an eight-hour road trip over three days. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I have taken, I think, eight-hour road trips. Yeah, we've done like, that going for arcades and video gaming. Yeah. So I have, I actually have two, one from this movie, but I have one also from the previous movie. What is Brooks, like, parental responsibility towards the kid? Yeah. We don't, there's no mention of did their parents die or did she end up getting, like, they're virtually the same age, no? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would imagine she's somewhere in her early to mid-20s. The kid's 19, but she is like a hawk over him. Big time. Like, when he almost dies, she fucking basically buries Mike, which I get, but no matter what he tries to do, like, when he's shaving his legs in the bathroom, she is persistent about, hey, I need to talk to you, get out of the bathroom. And then when she sees he's shaving his legs, she sees the outfit in the living room, she gets really pissed. So I don't understand I can see... If you're mad at your sibling over doing drugs. Yeah. But I, it's weird to be mad at them over something like shaving their legs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she tells Mike how the kid had a football scholarship and threw it, threw it away. Small as over, shit. What school? Yeah, a fist fight and stuff. So she very much is more of a parent to him. It's little, But if we knew what happened to the parents, we would understand it more. Well, the other weird thing that they don't really go into with that is that, well, I guess Tampa and Miami are far enough away because we assume Mike, and, if Mike at the point where he's asking Brooke to marry him, that they're living together, they're having a pretty serious relationship. Yeah. Mike doesn't see the kid again. The Barely kid not. takes off to Miami and just never comes home. Because wouldn't it be a little awkward for Mike to see the kid? You'd think, but to, like I brought it up, after Mike saves his life, giving him $13,500, and the well, kid just writes him off to yeah, death by the time he's 50. Let's talk about that a little bit, too, yeah. because the kid is very irresponsible. He's a dick. He takes... $10,000 worth of drugs to a sorority to party. To a sorority party. It's just, it's so, you drove there, mm-hmm. leave them in the, you know, you want to bring a couple pills in of ecstasy no. or whatever. Yeah. But he literally had 10000 in drugs. <laughs> in, in a Jansport backpack, apparently. On, yeah, on his person where he could have left them in the vehicle mm-hmm. and then they would have been there. It's it's plot convenience that he did that, but it's so strange that he would, I mean, but Again, that's the character of the kid. He's reckless. Yeah. And speaking of that, that sorority party, why are all the boyfriends in the adjacent room while strippers are just grinding all over their girlfriends? So it's her birthday party, and they don't explain who booked the strippers to come. Nope. But one of her friends booked, you know, and and I'm not going to get into Greek life, but a lot of sorority houses can't really have. No, you can't. 20 dudes there. You know, they have to. But so the dudes are in one room. So until the ecstasy, the dudes are just staying put in the other room. So it's like they don't care. Their girlfriends are hand deep in hog. Yeah, it's so weird. It's just a weird scene i mean yeah the boyfriends essentially had to be there to create the conflict but it maybe would have worked better if the boyfriends would have like arrived so like boyfriends show up look in the window and it's not over the ecstasy it's because 
there are strippers there because yeah. imagine like I could I don't know I would be very like why is this happening right now yeah my girlfriends in there are getting hoggled by a dude yeah it I mean I could see a drunk college guy being mad yeah his girlfriend I mean I yeah it's it's just weird that the guys are there already again maybe a plot convenience thing yeah and then in XXL is they made outfits constructed sets learn singing and dance routines all within the span of a day for the well, final conference. Mine, mine in XXL just has to do with, like I said, not only the time that it took three days to go eight hours, but how did they get from the accident to the hospital? Mm-hmm. I'm assuming an ambulance yeah, I would didn't assume. bring six of them. No. <laughs> to the hospital the froyo van got towed somewhere yep and then how did they get from the hospital to savannah and then how did tobias finds them in the final scene of the movie yeah. he pulls up on the myrtle beach strip boardwalk whatever it is they found him in the froyo van and sees them and then they all celebrate and I- i'm assuming there's no damage beyond appearance to to the froyo van yeah because it it seems to be driving just fine so a little weird details in that one. I don't really have anything else. Any mm. questions you want to ask? Anything? Negative. Okay. Uh, stick around for some plugs. Once again, Pool Sceners, thank you for checking out the pod this week. Remember, if you want to know what's going on, any updates, any exciting things coming around the corner, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Pool Scene Podcast. Also, at Pool Scene Pod on the Twitter. Also, if you want to drop us a line, send us an email at PoolScenePodcast at gmail.com. Any movie ideas. We have some amazing movies coming up. If there's a movie you want us to cover, let us know. You're on the journey with us. And now, back to Kevin. All right. Thank you, everyone. The season two finale, we made it. Man, we've been at this now. It's crazy. We've been at this for five months almost almost five months nuts so we've had a good time we hope you enjoyed the deep end we hope you enjoyed this season we had our first ever uh viewers viewers choice or listeners choice episode we had seniors and lifeguards some guests for the next season we i will say we're investing in some new equipment yep to make the sound quadio sound quadio i love quadio Quade. <laughs> Quato's back. We everybody. bought a reactor. We're gonna yeah, start. Gone. A, we're gonna have more guests. David Walker on the season. <laughs> um, yeah, we're gonna have more guests and more features. We're hoping for some more listener participation. Yes, uh, definitely want to hear your suggestions. We want to have you on the show if you want to be on the show. We want to have you uh, call in. We want you know reach out to us. We love the feedback, and then hopefully we get to that point where. You pool seniors and, you know, start becoming more lifeguards out there. And hopefully we get to that point where we even possibly have a Patreon one day, which would be fantastic with more support and maybe do another viewer's choice episode by getting us to 100 followers on our Instagram page at hashtag Instapool100. 
100, where we will spin the wheel once again and make the deal. I will say uh, a teaser, a couple of things that we have to look forward to in season three, a movie Jim hasn't seen. That's right. A Another movie that Jim hasn't seen that was also a book, so a little bit of a different format episode mm-hmm. where we're going to talk, we're going to hopefully you read the book, and then we're going to have you hear about the differences and similarities between the book and movie. Yes. We're going to do our first holiday special. By holiday, I mean Halloween. That's right. We're going to do a Halloween episode. Special Halloween episode. A spooky one. So some of that you can look forward to in season three. And again, we can, even if we've got something planned, we can change it out. If you've got suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Exactly, guys. Remember, you are a part of this along with us. We are now, what are we, 13 episodes in 12 episodes in i think to what no what am i saying oh my god we're 22 20. episodes in. i'm like jesus god it's yeah. getting late folks we're, this is our first late night recording <laughs> i was so like what are you talking are about blending huh? together yeah so we are getting in there deep possibly next season we have a special episode in which we talk about one of our favorite videos of all time we just cater it around that so we got a lot of special things coming for you guys coming up in season three okay we We hope to have you back. We do truly appreciate everything you've done for us. Uh, We're happy to be doing this. And until season three, silencia.